Welcome to Pollinators and Power. I'm Terry Oxford, and I'm a pollinator advocate in San Francisco, California. Today's podcast is with Stacy Malkin of US Right to Know. Stacy researches and reports on pesticide and food industry lobbying and propaganda campaigns and the health effects of chemicals that we are exposed to through our food. US Right to Know is a leading source of information about the Roundup cancer trials and is posting all the Monsanto papers from the trials on their website, usrtk.org. The documents are uncovering and investigating what goes on behind the scenes of our food system. Stacy, thanks so much for talking with me today. I just want to tell you that I'm so I'm so happy that you're here and that I'm following your work with um, the Monsanto trials and just finding it really exciting and riveting. And I just wanted to see if I could ask you a couple of questions to start and then let you just go. Yes, that, that sounds great. And thank you so much for having me, Terry. I'm happy to talk with you today. Okay, so following what you've been writing about on US Right to Know, uh, it looks like Monsanto's been gaming the system, gaming the science, creating watch lists circling the wagons and including global regulatory agencies as allies to jointly claim the product is safe if the label is followed. And I'm just going to ask you a question. I wish I could say off the record, but it's on the record. What kind of people and corporations are in charge of our food? <laughs> well, it's really, it's really disturbing. I mean, to look at, um, now, the examples you're talking about, basically the documents are just falling out of the closet in heaps, showing many examples of documented deceptions for years in all the realms you just mentioned, the science, the regulatory arena, media, um, many dirty, underhanded PR tricks, lobbying tricks. Of course, this is all about their policy agenda. It's all about keeping products unregulated hiding the health harms of their products um, and continuing to do business as usual because that's how they're making money. Um, and to your question of what kind of people, I mean, unfortunately, this is endemic to the entire system that we operate in, the economic system. I mean, if you look at the agrochemical industry, what's fascinating, I mean, we're talking about one of the largest firms in the world that uh, in an industry that has recently consolidated into three companies that have all of which have long histories of doing this exact thing, hiding the health harms of their products, lying about it, getting away for as long as possible with selling toxic products and evading the responsibility and accountability uh, in order to keep the profits rolling. So that's unfortunately, you know, how um, the agrochemical industry works, how our economic system works. And we've got to <laughs> recreate the way we do business. And with the food system, of course, as you said, we're talking about this is our food. This is the food we're eating and feeding our children that is sprayed with pesticides um, and genetically engineered to tolerate pesticides that have increased the amount we're all being exposed. Um, and so this is really quite urgent that we figure out how to clean this up and change the food system. So yeah, the thing about it is that I know and that you you know is that this is not, um, this is business as usual for many of these corporations that run our food and have been for decades. 
And it's really interesting to me, especially reading about the watch lists. So I'm really focused in on, as a pollinator advocate, on how did we get here? How did we get to the planet basically is poisoned and that insects are dying of our crops, everything that we grow? And it's deadly. And I know that Bayer, Monsanto, Syngenta, BASF, Dow, I know these guys didn't do it alone. They had an army of enablers. And your watch lists are fascinating to me. Can you talk about that in detail? Um, sure. So the watch lists was, this was a scandal that fell out of the closet last week and actually didn't come from the trials, but it was a whistleblower at one of the PR firms in France um, who worked, I believe the, the source was a person that worked for Fleischmann Hillard, which is one of the largest PR firms in the world. Um, Bayer started working with them and so did Monsanto in 2013 to try to rehabilitate their image in the United States. They were under tremendous pressure over GMO labeling um, and everything that they did to stop the labeling and, and refuse transparency. So they were under fire. They hired these PR firms to, you know, basically just promote their products worldwide, get, you know, get these pesky calls for transparency out of the way, try to keep the products unregulated, et cetera. So what happened in France was that this whistleblower came forward with the watch list or the Monsanto file. Basically, it had 200 names of people in France. They were mostly journalists, but also policymakers, um, different NGOs, anyone who was seen as an influencer in the debate over glyphosate in France. And the list was very detailed. It had people's personal addresses, telephone numbers, how to contact them, but also their political opinions, affiliations, their level of engagement in regards to Monsanto, um, just everything you would want to know. And the people in France were really upset, and not only that, they opened a criminal probe because they said it's it's in violation of the law, actually, to keep these detailed records um, and also to transfer them out of the country. And so uh, the criminal prosecutors in France are looking into it. Le Monde has filed a complaint. The AFP news agency has filed a complaint. Everybody who's on the list is is getting up in arms. And it's really caused a lot of fury, um, a lot of uh, media coverage in France looking into this. And then Bayer came out and admitted afterwards, well, we've actually got these watch lists for seven countries in Europe and the European Union. And like, so there's more coming. Um, I think that we'll find out about other watch lists and what they've done, you know, what do they do with this information, of course, is a big question. But one of the interesting things is the reaction in the US <laughs> and the PR firms are upset too because Bayer actually sidelined Fleischmann Hillard, put them on suspension, it said they were going to investigate them. So that's a pretty big deal when you. You have the one of the world's biggest chemical companies, um, you know, at odds with one of the world's biggest PR firms. But it really says a lot about where we're at at this time. Um, but the U.S. PR industry was like, well, you know, what big deal? People do this all the time. They track people. That's how PR is done. Um, I, you know, we know that, I think, you and I, Terry, because we've talked about that. They're watching very closely what everyone in the U.S. does, um, what they, what we say, tracking us on social media, 
we know this. I hope everyone knows this. And one of the things that came out of the Monsanto trials was a, a they called it the Let Nothing Go program. Monsanto had a program called Let Nothing Go, which was basically, you know, PR firms were deployed to push back on anyone in, on social media answering or speaking out or raising concerns in any way about pesticides or GMOs. And these aren't even necessarily influencers, just people on social media raising these topics were getting pushed back from trolls, um, from people who aren't really necessarily people. You know, that's what these PR firms do is they have lots of different social media accounts and they send, um, they'll, you know, uh, make conversations with people on Twitter, on Facebook. But And you'll notice there's um, often a commonality to those interactions. It's very personal. They try to shame and silence. They won't debate the issues. It's, it's very adversarial. I think it's especially bad on women, on people of color. It's very authoritarian. Um, and all the while, I mean, it's just gross because all the while there's a you know, claim to be standing up for science. But if, if you actually look at these groups, and that's what I do a lot of at U.S. Right to Know is we've investigated the groups. I write fact sheets about some of the leading front groups, and they relentlessly attack scientists and vicious, using vicious words, personal attacks, trying to discredit them and destroy their careers while they claim the mantle as being for science. I mean, it just needs to stop. I think it needs to stop. You know, and it's as old as humanity. Abuse of power always takes the same form. It's got it's got an authoritarian voice, you know, that speaks, um, um, you know, in a patriarchal way with clear authority. It's got in institutions behind it. Uh, that they've uh, gathered, which is in 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 this case, um, land grant universities are the institutions that have often spoken for the uh, chemical industry because they work hand in hand with uh, chemical agriculture, and then it also requires that shaming of silence to keep people down, people that do know, like whistleblowers or whatever. There's always the fear of shaming, and they use those tools. It's just, it's how how corporations like the tobacco industry, the sugar industry, they all use the same playbook. It's really interesting to me to see it unfolding and plain, you know, out in daylight now. The spotlight is on, and you guys are doing it. U.S. Right to Know, I'm a big fan. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, we're trying and, and there's a lot of, I think, a lot of increasing recognition across the media, across opinion leaders, uh, because these examples are so stark, they're so documented, they're so obvious, and all the links are starting to come together about how the system works. And, and as you said, who's backing up who? One of the disturbing aspects being the, the universities. Um, you know, for just as for one example, we, we um, did Freedom of Information Act requests on a, a University of Florida professor and lots of information came out about how he was doing things it, not the way he was saying in public that he was doing things uh, in many, many examples of just totally misleading the public. But one of the interesting things I thought that came out of those emails was uh, one that just outright said that the University of Florida has a, quote, stance on GMOs. So this is a university that's taking a stand on a product that is, quote, harmonious 
with Monsanto. So they, they really are saying in this instance and in others, um, you know, we as a university are standing behind this corporation's products. We're going to have a stance on it. We're going to promote it. We see it as our job to convince people who aren't convinced that they need to be convinced that the system of industrial agriculture that is very uh, dependent on pesticides and genetically engineered patented foods, monocultures um, that are causing all sorts of environmental issues and health concerns. Um, they see it as their role to promote that system, not as their role to educate the public, look at both sides. Um, and, and the University of Florida is not the only one. You know, Cornell University has an entire propaganda program. I mean, there's, there's nothing else you could really describe it as. I'm talking about the Cornell Alliance for Science. And it's, um, it's not scientists doing science. It's communicators trying to communicate a particular agenda and point of view about science that I just described, industrial agriculture, um, genetically engineered foods and pesticides is the system that uh, African countries should adopt. That's a big part of the role of this program is to lobby in Africa and to get media stories in Africa um, and, and also to, again, unfortunately, you know, try to silence and discredit anybody who's raising concerns. And, and you can see the, the direct links between the rhetoric they use, the front groups attacking scientists, the Monsanto PR plans. I mean, the links are absolutely clear. So, I think in some ways we're really only at the beginning of this, all the information coming out, the links coming together, and all of this being made transparent and public. So it's an interesting time to be doing this work. It really, really is. And I'm so, um, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys will start focusing on my favorite bad bad boys, neonicotinoids and fungicides, or, you know, basically systemics, because herbicides work the same way. They basically go in the inside of the plant, are protected there for years, they don't wash away, and they come out, now, you know, I'm a pollinator advocate, so they come out in the nectar and the pollen, the protein and, and uh, the carbohydrate for insects. And that's how they kill. And you can't get this information out there. On the beekeeping threads, they're completely controlled by that troll. Um, the same trolls operate in the beekeeping threads too. And I, it, it all, all fingers point, all roads lead to the land-grant universities controlling the narrative on bees about what's killing bees. It's never the pesticides. Right. I, I mean, and there's, we haven't done as much work on that issue because we're mostly working on the food system and human health, but it's totally integral. All of it is super connected. And I'm really concerned about the neonicotinoids too. And I, and science is really strongly backing um, that these are dangerous for, for ecosystem wide um, and particularly for the bees. And we see the same set of things playing out. Yes. And so neonicotinoids are a Bayer product. Um, and the narrative was set that you know, science will be looking into mites. You know, one of my one of the powerful things on this topic was the New York Times story where a scientist just said, you know, that he was told as a researching scientist that the problem with bees is mites. It's about the mites, stupid, is basically is what he said he was told. I mean, so that's pretty clear, right? They're trying to set the research agenda, look over here. It's like 
It's kind of like, you know, that story about the drunk person who looks for his keys under the lamp, even though that's not where he lost them. He lost them over in the parking lot, but he's looking there because that's where the light is. You know, they're shining a light of science on a particular topic that they want to make the story about, but the interesting stuff is happening over here. Um, I've seen that again and again, like literally companies will commission studies on one kind of tumor because they have evidence that their chemical causes a different kind of cancer. You know, it's just in the tobacco industry, really, um, we're, we're the pioneers on, on all of this with large research programs they set up to study particular obscure things that had nothing to do with actually trying to figure out whether cigarettes cause cancer. So there's many ways to throw off the research um, to influence the what the media covers. But the, the what you're talking about there about the silencing, like you can't even bring up the topic among beekeepers is really disturbing. And I and I really hope that people in those communities look at what's coming out of the Monsanto trials and realize, because I think a lot of people don't realize they maybe haven't been getting adversarial comments about their work before. And, and they start to hear from different people who seem like they're unconnected, you know, so academics, um, communicators, whoever, telling them the same story and not realizing that it's all a coordinated storyline that is specifically, and that they, in some cases, have been targeted to specifically change their mind and influence them um, in ways that are, you know, really quite calculated. I mean, there were stories that came out of Syngenta when they they were upset that a researcher at UC Berkeley, Tyrone Hayes, they had hired him to look at atrazine. And they didn't like his research, which showed that frogs were having basically ovaries grow in their testes. I mean, just severely concerning gender-bending effects with frogs exposed to atrazine. So they tried to press it and then when he wouldn't they they tried to discredit him but they they the documents that came out and these were written about um by rachel aviv and they were quite shocking documents like you know meeting to basically try to analyze him and figure out his points of vulnerability so that they could shame and silence him that's what goes on yeah the watch list it's the same thing it's like looking out for investigative journalists that are that they can do something to to silence them it's the same thing it's the same tactics yeah and lots of sneaky stuff like another thing that just came out a couple days ago because now the french media is all over this and digging up other stuff so um the afp reported that there was a woman in the San Francisco trial recently, the federal trial on Roundup, who had been telling everyone she was a BBC journalist or freelancer working with the BBC, and she's you know hanging out with the journalists, chatting up the journalists, giving them story ideas, and you know suggesting angles to cover. You know, colleagues talking to colleagues. Except she wasn't a journalist. She worked for a crisis management PR firm, FTI Consulting, that works with Bayer. So. There's lots of ways that there's we're trying to get into your mind. So wait a minute. What are you saying? Are you saying was she was she gathering information? She was. Um, so she was there. Here's what we know. She was there at the trial telling people she was a BBC journalist, a freelancer who worked with them and another uh, UK publication. And then 
she was just talking with journalists and giving them ideas and, you know, discussing different ways of covering the story. And she was never said, I actually work for a crisis management PR firm that works for Bayer. You know, she was presenting herself as a journalist. Now, what she was doing or what kind of impact, you know, who knows? I do know that, um, well, FTI Consulting said she wasn't supposed to be doing that. She was only there to take notes. So they're trying to distance they're from distanced, it. Yeah, distancing just, themselves. But I do also know there was another person from FTI Consulting at that trial who was not undercover he was you know the consulting firm guy he actually yelled at my colleague telling her she wasn't a real journalist so here we've got two people from fti consulting at the trial one of them's yelling at my colleague telling her she's not a real journalist and the other one's pretending to be a journalist chatting up reporters i mean it's really sloppy lowbrow stuff it's basically here's what it is it's a desperation campaign it's anything and everything they can do to try to stop the story on glyphosate stop people studying it stop people talking about it stop people banning it um, they've got to keep the system going so that they can keep their profits rolling in. I look at these guys and I think, you know, they probably, they think tank everything. They know exactly what they're doing all the time. And it looks like they may have made a mistake buying, I look, Bayer may have made a mistake buying Monsanto. But here's something I keep hearing over and over and over again in all the reports I read that Bayer has written and that Syngenta has written and that UC Davis has written. And it's this. Bayer is appealing the cases and stands by its position that, and this is in quotes, regulatory authorities around the world consider glyphosate-based herbicides as safe when used as directed. So those words, used as directed, I think that this is going to be their, what they're going to try and get uh, or this is going to be their out. They're going to say, you didn't use it as directed. So basically what I'm, what I'm asking you is these guys have gamed the system. They've spent a lot of money trying to figure out how to commit these, in my opinion, world-class crimes, ecocide crimes. And they're not the type that's just going to try and stand alone and take responsibility. I think what they're going to do is include the regulatory agencies globally that they have gamed and juked the stats and changed the science or made up their own science and try and you know spread out the responsibility so that they're not standing alone and taking the brunt of this do you have any thoughts about that because i just i just believe that these guys know how to abuse power and this might be one of their their game plans well, certainly they're going to try to do whatever they can to, to reduce the liability on the Roundup trials. Um, we don't know what that will look like going forward. You know, the, the federal judge in San Francisco has told them to start settlement negotiations. Uh, I think they eventually probably will settle, but who knows when or what that will look like. I mean, the, what you're identifying is a, is a bigger, bigger problem. And it, again, it's not just Bayer. It's not just pesticides. It's the way, it's the amount of power and control that corporations have over our regulatory systems. And in the U.S., that's just become so obvious. And it's in the Trump era. And it's, of course, not just Trump. It was Obama had the agrochemical industry players in places of high, high influence. Um, and they have 
all the way back <laughs> through several presidencies. So, but what's what's new in Trump in the Trump era that I think is so interesting is that I mean it's just so brazen. They've put in charge of our public agencies people who've publicly stated that they want to dismantle those agencies, that they don't want the EPA to have power, that they don't believe in public education or labor <laughs> unions or labor organizing or laborers. I mean, it's just really brazen. And so it, it, it was interesting when the EPA recently came out and said, okay, we've looked at this and now we think glyphosate is safe. And it didn't really get any media coverage because, I mean, the, I, I, Complete, I believe that the EPA is a crucial agency that we need to rescue and fix and elevate to the position it used to have as a global leader in, in public health and safety. Um, but we also have to admit that it's absolutely not that right now. It's been captured by corporations. People inside those agencies are upset. They're leaving. I mean, certainly I think and I hope we'll see people coming forward with documents, with more information, with um you know, just bringing transparency to what's gone on. Um, and it's a process whereby, I mean, we've got to build a democratic movement in this country to take back our, our government from the corporations. And I hope we see that happening. I mean, I'm really encouraged by the democratic, uh, some of the leaders in the, in the democratic field for the presidency that are talking about um, very sweeping, bold plants, like Elizabeth Warren saying we need to break up big agriculture. Um, and Bernie's plans for, um, you know, democratizing agriculture and Tulsi Gabbard saying we need to uh, put look at banning glyphosate. I mean, these are policies that need to be put in, in the center of the national debate at the highest levels about our political system. And I think it's issues that these are the issues that are going to motivate people to get more active um, and I always say this about, you know, climate change is such a, of course, bearing down disaster. And I think despite all the noise around what they've tried to do to confuse people about science, um, people across our society on, you know, know how big of a problem it is and want to do something about it, but they don't know what to do about it. With the food system, there are things, it's the same set of issues, in some cases, the same set of players, the same strategies that they're running, um, but we can do something about it. And we can make different choices about what we buy. We can support local um, agriculture systems. There's, there's just a lot of different ways to intervene in the system um, and make choices that can you know, do something and have an impact right now. So I am so glad that people are talking about um, agricultural issues at the highest levels of our political system, and I hope it continues. And I think that's the way to get women, especially motivated and engaged in politics, and that we need to give them a vision that will inspire them to move forward and to think and to know that what we do matters and that we can make a difference every day. I've distilled my message down to a really, really simple one, and that is to save pollinators is to save ourselves. And the only way we're gonna do that is to, is to buy organic, create a demand, a consumer demand for organic food, which is real organic. 
Um, and I'm going to be I'm going to be doing a podcast on what is real organic right now, because, you know, not only have they gamed the system, but they've gamed everything. They've gamed the branding. These industries have also taken over the organic labeling and so created confusion and doubt because, you know, that's what they do. It's all about it's all about uh, deflection, polarizing, uh, creating doubt and confusion. These are the tools that they've created and or that they've implemented in our food system. And that's what gets me. That's what kills me about this is that people trust their food. And the fact is, is that you cannot. And I know that's a horrible, horrible message. But we better get used to it and start thinking this way because these guys, we shouldn't, they shouldn't be anywhere near our food. And they're all in it. They're in the entire infrastructure around our food. Well, they, they control our food. Yes. And don't please don't let it kill you because we need you and people like you, uh, you know, speaking all, in all aspects of the food system um, with our knowledge and that for all of us that can also start with our own families and circles and communities and telling people about why these issues matter and giving them a place to go and find info. Um, and we've got tons of these documents that I mentioned on our website at usrtk.org. And we're also doing um, a newsletter every week with food news about our health with all the top studies and um, news coverage and, and what we're finding out in our investigation. So please also sign up for our newsletter at usrtk.org. Stacy, you're amazing. I'm so I'm so happy um, you spoke with me today. And as usual, you're you're just knocking it out of the park. Thank you, Terry. And you too, really standing up for the bees and the trees and, and for life. I really appreciate your work. I'm Terry Oxford, and this is Pollinators and Power. Thanks for listening. <laughs>